Hey, welcome to this week's edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. <clears throat> I'm Richard Lanford, the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ, just outside the city limits of Chicago. Before we begin, let me offer an opening prayer. Spirit of God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of God, fall afresh on us. In Christ's name, amen. Today's message is called The Life of Faith, From Whom, For Whom, Through Whom. The scriptures, as you'll hear them, are from Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 20, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13, that's where the sermon's coming from, and the Gospel of Mark 1, verses 21 through 28. Our lector is Beth Lanford, and uh, let's begin, shall we? The Old Testament lesson is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 20. Moses is addressing the people before they cross over into the Promised Land. He speaks of a prophet to come at some point after him by the design of God. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall feed such a prophet. This is what we requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the names of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. This ends the reading from Deuteronomy. Our official lesson is 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1-13. Although it sounds like an odd thing, be concerned uh, about to you and me. The question of if it was okay for a Christian to eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol was a major one for the Corinthian church. Paul actually takes more than one chapter to work out his reply. Here is the beginning. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we all know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us closer to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care of this liberty of yours. Does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you, who possesses knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since our conscience, conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food is sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is the cause of their falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. This concludes the epistle reading. The gospel lesson this morning is Mark 1, verses 21 through 28. Jesus has been baptized by John and the Holy Spirit, tested by Satan in the desert, and has called at least some of the twelve disciples. Now right after the passage, where the fishermen were called to follow, Jesus continues his public ministry, which includes an exorcism. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded by his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. 
and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the region of Galilee. Here ends the reading of the Gospel lesson and our scriptures for today's service. May God add a blessing to our continued thinking about this, the Word of God for the people of God. Care for the earth, the value of human life. Why are you here? What makes life worth living? or seems to give life to you or me? These are pretty basic questions and or topics for discussion and even policy. This does not mean that they're not complex. Talking about the values of human life, for instance, can bring us to talk of abortion, capital punishment, anti-racism, health care, and war, just to name a few. Having a belief in why you are here can be what steadily inspires you to pursue the career or vocation that you have, or that could be the anchor to help you navigate between the Scylla and the Charybdis of depression. Indeed, our life of faith gives you and me something akin to eyeglasses through which we perceive our origins and our planet, why we are here and where we are going, as well as what gives us, as the word says, the life that really is life. When meeting someone new, it's common to ask where they come from. Usually we mean, if you were not born and raised here, where? Or where did you come here from, as in, where did you live last? That conversation can lead us into origin stories, where we share about our family, what it was like growing up wherever we did, and maybe about some, some moves, some relocations. And some persons might grab our hand and take us on their deep dive into their family history and genealogy. As people of faith, we understand that if you take the question, where are you from, back to the very beginnings, we come from God. Our lives are gifts from God. The planet we live on is part of the creation, a gift from God, the poetic how and when of which in the Bible does not have to compete with science. It is a faith statement, however, well expressed in verse 6 of our epistle reading. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things exist. We come from God. Yes, we come from biology and moms and dads, sperm and eggs. But it's a faith statement also that God put the forces of nature into motion. And so our lives and the earth we live on are 
ultimately from God. Paul even wrote that all things have their origins from God. When you and I remember, Scripture asserts that God made us in the divine image, and that God breathed God's breath into the body of dust giving life. We have other ways where faith sees us having God, the source of our life, and what a life it is. To me, this means that our lives have a sacred quality about them, a soul, if you will. Now that changes the discussion then when we get into the value of human life, let alone when it begins and is viable as human life. Our lives of faith, regardless of where we are on abortion or the death penalty, at least takes into account that we come from God, quote, from whom all things exist. If you are of a certain age, you'll remember the poster hanging up in school showing a child and the words, I know I'm somebody, because God don't make no jump. Our life of faith perceives that our life is not just physical, temporal, and haphazard, having no link to a maker of all. Through nature's God, we all are from God, made in God's image so God doesn't make any jump, and in my belief anyway, because we are made in God's image and have this breath from the story of the man of dust. In my belief, that means that humans have something sacred in our very existence because of that. Heck, that not only guides our contributions to discussions about the death penalty, abortion, the care of God's creation of earth, sea, and sky where we live, but also how we treat others who also are from God. The belief that we are all made in God's image, and by virtue of that, we all deserve equal treatment under the law and under the gospel, was and is a driving principle of liberation movements. This includes the struggle for civil rights 60 years ago, women's rights, the ecology and environmental movements, and of course, of LGBTQ+. From God, our lives and all things, claiming this, and letting it shape how we live with ourselves and others, is part of the life of faith. Let me go, let me go back a few years with you, members and friends of St. Peter's. I do not recall just when. I started it to sometimes end prayers with the phrase, We are here for you. I used it primarily in the prayers that began church council meetings and later expanded to meetings of other groups at our church, including sometimes Sunday worship. I really like what it says. And I guess Paul did as well. Going back to our epistle lesson he wrote, Yet for us there is one God the Father from whom all things exist and
for whom we exist. We exist for the Lord. In his context, Paul was talking about the Corinthian church members recalling the foundation of their unity and thus being considerate of the lesser developed spiritual maturity of some believers as regards the eating of meat, which originally was from a sacrifice to an idol. We exist for Christ and not for the self-centered exercise of our Christian liberty when it might adversely affect a believer who would be badly confused, if not worse, by what we do. What is our purpose? Like I said at the beginning, why are we here? The life of faith knows, quote, for whom we exist. That helps answer the question. Our purpose can become pretty specific around how to use, how, how we use our God-given gifts in answer to God's specific call, and it can be very general. We may not always know what our purpose in life is, or at certain times in our life, and that quandary is not limited to students in high school or college. It can be a tearing, wearing question some of us ask ourselves whenever what is my reason for living? Why am I here? What's my purpose? For starters, we are here for God, for Christ. We exist, Paul wrote, for Christ. It reminds me of what we heard Dan Gunther read from 1 Corinthians 6 two weeks ago, that we are not not our own, but we were bought with the cross, that being the blood of Christ on Golgotha. Our bodies are also temples of the Holy Spirit, which we have within us from God, who is the Spirit. We are not our own. We belong to our Maker and our Savior. We belong to the one who so loved the world, including you. We are here for, we exist for, Christ. Christ is our raison d'etre. He's got stuff for you and me to do. People to encourage, to love, to help out, or to let them help us out. God's got a plan for us to do what we can to clean up and be good stewards of. There are systemic injustices for us to tackle as a people. There are hungry persons to feed and hunger itself to eradicate because we exist for Christ who served and loved. So we love and serve. We are here for him. To pray for knowledge of God's will for us and for the might and strength to carry that out in patient grace and sometimes in urgency. Now this truth can help us get out of the dumps if we are focused too much on ourselves, remembering it's not all about us, but we are to be all about God. 
affords you and me some perspective on the things that get us upset short term. Since it's not all about us, what we do and how we do it, and what we do not do and how we refrain, can serve Christ as witnesses. I remember when we started the church softball team back in the mid-1990s that I told the team we represent St. Peter's by how we carried ourselves on the diamond. In a way, we were not there for us, not even just for the church, but for Christ who can communicate through us ways to live honestly and kindly even when competing. The same is true for all of the ways you and I try to minister to and with others. It's part, it is part of the life of faith. It is just too cool. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things exist and for whom we exist. That we have been given this blessing. We exist for Christ. From whom we exist, our origins, the sacredness of life and how we treat our fellow human beings, the source of our lives, and believe me not, the disinterested source, for whom we exist. Our lives have purpose. And Jesus has everything to do with that, even when it is not obvious to us. We are not meant to be all about us, as we might by human nature think it, but by living with forgiveness, courage, faith, and love, using our God-given gifts in the various ways we walk through our lives and in this life, we are about Christ. You will recall or see, by looking at the sermon title, that there is one more word in this sentence about the life of faith. Yet for us there is one God from whom all things exist and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Through Christ, we exist. Here it is not Christ exists through us, but through Christ we exist. Well, what does that mean? I'd be interested to hear what you think. Let me share with you some initial thoughts of mine. What does it mean? A couple ideas. One goes back to creation. Paul wrote, One Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. Well, we're part of the all things. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Christ is presented as a mediator, the mediator, the agent, the channel of creation. We recently heard from John 1. It was the first Sunday in January. I believe it was Jessica who read it for us. Quote, In the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. 
Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. Christ, through Christ, all things came into being. He's the Word. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, we read of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, or by him, all things in heaven and earth were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him. All things hold together. Lastly, Hebrews 1, verse 2, gives us this. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. So hearing in 1 Corinthians that we exist through Jesus Christ may relate very well to Christ being the agent of creation. Another way I think of this is as a channel conduit, or even a kind of union. This is a perfect, imperfect analogy, as all analogies are. For electric current to get to a light bulb, it courses through wires, or conduit. The end result is the bulb lights up when the switch is flipped, assuming the bulb and the switch function. The light exists, lights up, the light exists through the wire and the current coming through them. In the life of faith we've been given, we exist through Christ. As if we are the light bulb and Christ is the wires and the juice bringing life to us. The life that really is life and that life that is eternal. I also thought again of softball. Through softball, we had fun. People got to know each other, friendships were formed or made stronger, and folks got a connection to St. Peter's they may not have otherwise had. Through Christ, we may or may not have fun, but we do have that life. Through Christ, we exist from God and for God. We have our being somehow through him. Lastly, perhaps because one of our church friends had a baby January 18th, I thought of a baby going through the birth canal, assuming it's not a C-section. Although that is only temporary, going through it is the way to breath and life. In a life of vibrant Christian faith, Christ is, if you will, the birth canal. We go through him into existence as people of faith. And therefore, through him, we exist out of the world. The flaw in the analogy is that such a voyage is physical and temporary. You and me existing through Christ is our whole life long. So, when someone you know is wondering what it's all about, or we need to reconnect with anchors of a life of faith. Or we need help in remembering some basics 
about why the church believes what it does about human life, even if we disagree. Let's remember. Let's remember, draw strength and joy from this. We are from God. For God. And exist through Christ. May these continue to energize and animate your life of faith and the life of this church. Amen. God bless you for tuning in to this edition of The Red-Headed Preacher. Uh, this was a different kind of message uh, than some of mine, but those, um, those words and the way they hit me um, really led me, after much time looking at different angles on the passages, to lift some of those basic things up. So I hope you found value, too, in listening as I did in writing and in preaching. God bless your week. Thank you for tuning in. And may we all stay uh, healthy and safe and helping others. Amen. <laughs>